Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. Okay. I think we're live there, Wendy. Great. Let's see. Meaty is now streaming. Streaming live. Let me just check, see what they say. We're live. Yes. Wendy Schoen, the godmother of legal recruiting. Is that, is that good? Your, your new name? The godmother of <laughs> legal recruiting <laughs> who's been recruiting for like 25 years. That means she was recruiting like, you know, when she was five years old. She was a child prodigy recruiting right from, from elementary school and, is, and places really senior executives. So welcome to LinkedIn Live with Jack Kelly. And I'd love you just tell, tell a bit about yourself, what you do, and then we could share, you know, you could share some really good advice with people okay. how to find jobs. Well, I actually um, recruit partners in, I'm a legal recruiter. So mm -hmm. I only place lawyers. I don't place anybody else. So, mm -hmm. um, but I place them anywhere. I have in my career, I've placed them in, into in-house jobs. I've placed them into management consulting, into banks. Uh, right now in my career, I'm placing them, I'm placing partners into mid-sized law firms. So I'm working with that particular section of the lateral partner market. And do you find in this environment, I see it's really bifurcated. You have some areas that are hot and then some like hospitality, airlines, just restaurants, terrible. What, what are you yeah. seeing in the legal space? Any, any areas that are like really on fire and others just not so much? Well, obviously the, the, uh, the lockdown has uh, affected many areas. I mean, for example, the courts are locked down. So litigation is um, piling up behind the bottleneck. So that's so interesting. So, so if you're a litigator, litigator uh, it might be slow because nothing is going on. Is Well, you have cases that yeah. are there and there's all sorts of pre-litigation, right. pre-court trial work that can be done there's all sorts of deposition work that can be taken right there's all right sorts of witness and uh, interviewing there's all sorts of document review massive document review that can be done remotely so there's a lot of pre-litigation work that can be done and then because of the bottleneck you're getting a lot of pre-trial pre settlement work that's happening. So you're getting a lot of arbitrations, you're getting a lot of mediation. So there's different kinds of things happening it's, that don't necessarily happen under normal circumstances. So, so it's so funny. I don't mean to read you, but the pandemic sometimes has these weird repercussions. So would you, so it sounds like what you're saying, there might be more settlements going on yeah. because like, hey, we can't go to court. Yeah. So let's just get this done and over yeah. with. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So there, uh, so litigation is hot because yeah. there's so many more cases that need attention. Yeah. Are you finding a lot of litigation because of pandemic? You know, whether, hey, I'm suing my insurance company because I think they're supposed to cover me because, you know, my restaurant was closed and they're saying, no, we're not. 
Does that come up? Is that something? That is sure to take off yeah. really, really, really badly when the, when the lockdown closes. There's some of that starting. Um, you're seeing a, a little bit of it, but um, that's going to really take off significantly when the lockdown is over. So there's some of it going on now. Can we say it was over because they want to wait to see how it all plays out before they may... Um, because the case law isn't yeah. quite established yet. Yeah. So they're waiting to see how some of the um, regulations play out before yeah. they know where their uh, rights sit before they make the, right. the case. Speaking of so. regulations, do you, do you deal with kind of white collar crime and things like that? And yeah. with this whole Reddit day trading, I'm sure you've been following this GameStop thing. <laughs> Do you, do you see yeah, kind of maybe a lot of action in that space? The SEC, yeah. um, FINRA, uh, all of the market-oriented and securities trade, all of them are <laughs> dancing at the moment. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, they're waiting to see what the SEC, the House, all those places <sighs> opine but there's a lot of activity going on about that. There's several antitrust, there's several class action lawsuits that have been filed on various pieces of this whole thing. Yes, it's going to spawn quite a bit of activity. Do you think, and this is not politics, just is what it is. Do you think with this new administration and with President Biden putting in Gensler, I can't remember the other guy's name for the CFPB, uh -huh. that they're too aggressive regulators plus with the state suing uh, antitrust for Facebook and some of the, do you think this is gonna be like a really hot, crazy area moving forward? Yes, there's, there's significantly, you're gonna see a lot more antitrust um, enforcement and you're going to see a lot more securities enforcement, regulatory enforcement, both. And the firms are gearing up for that. And with the antitrust, would that be Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazon? Do you have an idea of, I mean, some oh, already is out that. there, but all, they're all. All of that, yeah. but it's not just that. There's regular non-tech antitrust right. also. There's a lot of uh, pharma antitrust. There's a lot of anything antitrust. I mean, things that, you know, there's two aspects of antitrust. You've got the Department of Justice and then you've got the FTC, so. You know, some of it's trade dress and some of it is, um, and patent and some of it's crown. So. Are you also seeing privacy issues coming oh, up that too? too? That too. That's another area. Privacy and, and cybersecurity. That's all going to be, is crazy because you have the European, you have the California, and now you're going to have New York as well is going to also have its own privacy statutes. So then even, even though you focus on, as you talk about like partners, but you know, we place at law firms, mid-sized law firms, but I would imagine with that wave, it could create all sorts of other jobs in those space, right? Absolutely. First of all, I mean, partners specialize in all of these areas. Mm -hmm. um, some people want to go to work for the government in these areas. Some people and every company wants to have a specialist in these areas. So you have increased um, 
in-house demand in these areas, as well as governmental, as well as law firms. Um, every law firm wants to have a specialist in this area to be able to offer up to their clients that says, you're going through an SEC uh, enforcement action. We have a specialist that can help you through that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's all in that area. Now, let's talk about labor and employment. Okay. <laughs> what's, what's going on? It sounds like you have something interesting. No, there. What, mean, what's, that's what's another going? whole yeah. area that is yeah. exploding, <clears throat> totally exploded. Why is it exploding? What's, what's, what's okay? Uh, let's say, all right, you've been in lockdown. Now you're right. coming back to the office. How do you handle testing of your employees before they're allowed to come to work? How do you handle vaccine? Do you um, demand that all of your employees be vaccinated before they come in to work? But you have to see, now here's the problem. You are allowed to ask certain kinds of information from your employees but you're not allowed to ask others because other kinds of information violates anti-discrimination laws. And the question is, by asking information regarding COVID testing and or vaccine, are you violating your employees' anti-discrimination rights regarding their medical history? So then would you say an increase not only for lawyers, but just all sorts of other people around there to, to work on every aspect of it, to write policies, write procedures, check on these things, maybe in HR. Yep. <laughs> it must be yep. so much paperwork and so yep. stuff that they have to take care of, right? Yep. So there are policy wonks in right. Washington who have to come up with the policies behind the regulations that yeah. go into the that are enacted in Congress to, ha to handle all of these things. Now I saw one something else on one of on an employment blog that says, how, how do you deal with COVID fraud? Although someone, I didn't even think of what's what is that? What yeah, and I didn't either. Okay. <laughs> well, someone yeah. someone went um, two months ago to get tested. Right. They came back negative. And They've been out playing and they now have to go to work and they have to show a negative COVID test. Mm -hmm. They're not sure they're going to be able to get a negative COVID test right now, but they really need to go back to work. So they play with their test results. Maybe they change the date. I don't even know that was a thing. <laughs> I so didn't naive. either until I, I read so this until yeah. I read this employment blog. People are doing that to be able to get back to work. Well, would they do it on the opposite side not to go to work? Which they I can't yes, come in. There are people I, who say I don't want to go to work. So they're they're fraud, they're faking their COVID tests to be positive so that they can have a couple oh of my days God. off or a vacation. This is so involved. So, so there has to be armies of people who have to take care of all this that I imagine, yeah. right? I mean, this is just yeah. so many multi-levels of watching right. over it. But let's take it another step. You want to get on an airplane. Right. You need a, a negative COVID test. Mm -hmm. 
to get on an airplane. You want to go on that vacation. Yeah. You need a negative COVID test. Now you fake your COVID test. <laughs> it's so wild. <laughs> now, what, what about, are you, seeing, are you seeing legal cases where people are suing, say, wait, I don't, you know, you're bridging my rights. I don't want to have to show it. You know, I did take the test, but, you know, I don't feel I do. it's- Oh, no, no, no. The, uh, the, the airline has the yeah. absolute right to refuse to let you board yeah. if you don't provide it. So that's, yeah. You know, see the hand. <laughs> uh, and the employer has the absolute right to yeah. not allow you to return to work if you don't uh -huh. provide it. Yeah. Do you think that's one of the reasons why it's being pushed out so much and not having reopenings and having people go back to work because the executives of these companies realize it's a, it could be a legal quagmire there, for all the reasons you mentioned and others. They right? are just, they're just like, right. Think about it. Just in this, if I don't. Right. And this just in this. So five minutes, we're talking about it. You, you, you've given like 10 different things that, you know, a company has to worry about and be concerned about and really serious ramifications if it goes wrong. So it's yep. probably easier just to say, you know what, everyone stay home, <laughs> just stay home. And That's all it. these employers have already spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to rework the uh, walking patterns within their companies so mm -hmm. that people have stay away from each other. So uh, instead of every, every aisle being by two directional, mm -hmm. they now say, okay, this aisle goes this way and right. then that aisle goes this way, so that they're limiting the exposure of everybody to everybody. In the supermarket, I always go down the wrong runs by accident. I forget, I, out of habit of going to the supermarket for so long, <laughs> I see it like, oh, I'm, I'm in the wrong way. It's, yeah. it's going to take a while I to get my used office, to, huh? My office, which is uh, uh, which I haven't been to now in yeah. you know, 10 months, but my office is uh, shared space and they have it set up. So this, this, this aisle is this way and mm -hmm. this way and this way. And if you want to go to the bathroom, you have yeah. to follow the lines to go to the bathroom. And this is how you get to the coffee place. And only two places people are allowed in the coffee break room at a time. And it, yeah, that's how it is. Wow. Did you see any areas that are uh, just not doing well at all because of COVID? Airlines, hospitality, yeah. hotels. Real estate in some ways is doing phenomenally and in other ways is not. Mm -hmm. I mean, How so? If you represent the shopping center, <laughs> good luck to you. Yeah. Because they're empty. No one's paying rent. They're empty. No one's... Uh, buying or investing in them or anything. So how are you going to unload them? But, cool. you know, How's they're going into that? bankruptcy and then bankruptcy yeah. is, is selling them as distressed assets. And that's how, so that area is booming, but the actual uh, uh, leasing and uh, that, that side of the real estate is not, but if you are represent, I mean, shit. If you're doing, so, sorry. If you're, uh, if you're representing, um, yeah. Um, if you're representing okay. people, uh, the real estate brokers yeah. who are, you know, buying and selling houses, 
And if you're not, if you're not a real estate agent in Manhattan or DC or Chicago or LA, but you're a real estate broker out in the suburbs, you are having a field day. Isn't it wild how, the, how you're having that shift from the big cities to the suburbs and small towns? I mean, you can, every time they show a picture of New York, you see absolutely empty streets. And well, tell me about, you know, because you're a New Yorker and I, I was a New Yorker. I'm here in New Jersey now. Um, how, how, how was it? Because I, th- I don't think you're there now, right? You, you, no, I'm not. I'm out in New Jersey now. I'm out in others. So how bad was it? Was it like, because you always hear these things, you know, you have some groups that say, oh, it's terrible, crime, drugs in the street. Others, no, it's great. And the, each side will show pictures, one how great it looks and one how terrible. What's, what was um, it like? You know, I, I, was, I, I will tell you, I was lucky. And I live in the um, mid sixties. And um, for a while, we heard about all the bad things that were happening on the West side. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that, there's no question when I went down to my office, which is at 40, uh, 42nd, 44th, and 5th, absolutely, streets were empty. There wasn't a soul out there. Um, and even back in my apartment, the streets were really empty comparatively. Um, but we did not have the um, issue with the homeless or with uh, mm-hmm. crime. Um, for the first 10 months. Um, but starting in, I'm gonna say late October, um, the mayor moved 300 homeless men into a hotel two blocks from my apartment. And the guardian angels came and put up flyers and started appearing and started uh, um, patrolling the streets near my apartment. And um, it changed. Yeah. And it got to the point where I did not even feel comfortable walking the street during the day, even going across the street to the Dwayne Reed. And when it got to that point, I packed myself up my computer, my files, everything, my printer, everything. And I took my dog and moved out here to New Jersey mm-hmm. and said, you know what? I can work from anywhere. And yeah. that's what's going to happen for a while. So yeah. what would it take? What would it take to kind of get people back to New York City, do you think? Um, a change in mayor. Yeah. De is not so great, huh? I'm not going to speak. <laughs> I'm not going to talk politics. Uh, but something has to change to yeah. change the 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 level of crime and yeah. the level of homelessness that has overtaken yeah. the city. For many people who have still kept their apartments yeah. to want to return. Yeah. And this happens before. Remember in the '70s? Yep. You know when we were both two years old and yep. the. Uh, and, and it was kind of the same thing. I remember as a kid where when you would go, and I grew up in Brooklyn before it was all hipster and cool, you know, and I was in the areas that kind of stunk. And when you go into Manhattan, there would be the city. Like someone said, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to the city, yep. it's not a really ominous. Yep. <laughs> You're going in there. And then you would, you would see at 42nd Street, they had porn shows, porn movies playing. 
there'd be just and hookers uh, hanging out right by the right by the by the, by the uh, tunnels. Yep. So we we've seen that before. So that's so that's why I think these things repeat itself and it turns yep. around. So it's just kind of waiting out for the turnaround. Yeah. Uh, but it's gonna be interesting because like I'm what I'm seeing too is that so many companies are moving out of New York to go to other yep. places particularly yeah. Wall Street. You know, you had Goldman Sachs yeah. talking about moving their asset management division to Florida. You had a bunch of hedge funds moving out to Florida. Yeah. You have- There's several hedge funds. There's several uh, uh, wealth management companies that moved to uh, Plano, Texas. Austin is a big thing. A lot of tech firms have been moving from, and it's not just New York. It's the other big cities too. LA yeah. and San Francisco, you see a lot of people leaving. It's interesting. Yeah. The tech companies seem to be going to like Austin and other parts of Texas where here in New York, it seems they're going down to Florida now. It used to be like North Carolina was really big for a while. Yep. But Florida seems, and in Miami, the mayor of Miami is now putting a big push to make it like a tech hub. Yeah. So these they have are great fast. tax because of the tax. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's got the Cuomo and between Cuomo and the federal government, they have made um, New York an uncomfortable place to be if you make any kind of money at all. And with a, a first level associate making $190,000 at a big law firm, it's not too many years before you're making an uncomfortable amount of money with respect to Cuomo and now Elizabeth Warren, and um, as far as the Biden administration is concerned, anybody making over $400,000, you are in an uncomfortable tax bracket, and it's not that long before lawyers at big law firms are there, and if they're married, they're there super quick. Now, how is this, does it change drastically if you're a senior associate or your partner in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, or LA compared to, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a way smaller market. Are you going to get the same or, or no? Like you're going to move, but taxes will be lower, but you're, you're getting less money. In New York, you're hit with a triple threat. Mm -hmm. New York city, New York state and federal. You don't get the triple threat most places. Plus, um, we don't get, used to be, yeah. before Trump, we got credit for, on the federal taxes, for taxes you paid in the state. The salt, this, that's the salt tax, salt right? tax. So you look at this, and wait, wait, can I just take a pause? Can I take a pause here? Look at, we're, we're giving some really high level stuff, right? You got our audience has to appreciate, you know, not often on a LinkedIn Live, you're gonna hear about the salt tax, taxes, all this guy. So this is what's what I really enjoy talking to you about because this is what people need to hear because they don't, for some reason it's not talked about, but it's really important to careers because yep. it's going to make the difference between, you know, living a great life and, and maybe not so much. Yep. And, and I think, and again, I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you about this, but That's okay. really, because it jumps out to me, the more we're talking about it, you, it wasn't like this so much in the past, but I think now you really have to start thinking, where am I going to live? Because that's yep. going to make a big difference. I could be in New York or San Fran, and I think I'm making a nice salary. But as Wendy is saying, if all of a sudden they're taking out all of these taxes and the, and the quality of living isn't so great, 
well, maybe I have to rethink things and, and take a look at a different location and maybe move somewhere else or try to and work remotely is, somewhere and, else. And no, it's not even that you have right? to work remotely. Before the pandemic, before the pandemic, technology had made it so that, and the firms knew yeah. this, technology had made right. it so that a matter, whether it be a, a, a merger or a trial or whatever, could be manned, and I'm sorry to use the word man mm-hmm. versus woman, whatever, but could be staffed right. by an associate in the Phoenix office, an associate in the Delaware office, an associate in the uh, uh, Wyoming office. It didn't all have to be manned by people in the New York office to get done. Technology made it such that you could have people in all different kinds Mm -hmm. of offices working on the same project. And that made it cheaper, to the client and it made it cheaper for the law firms. They didn't all have to be working in the physical New York office, which enabled the law firms to have less physical space. And the benefits that they paid these people were paid on scale to their office. An insurance policy in New York does not cost the same as an insurance policy in Phoenix Mm -hmm. to provide the same exact quality of insurance policy to the employee. So even if the even if the associates are getting paid, paid the same amount of money, the taxes taken out are different. The, the how far that money goes in the real estate market for the, that particular associate is quite different. But the insurance policy that the firm has to buy is is differently priced. Uh, the, it just it's completely different and it ends up being less expensive for the firm and less expensive for the employee. So what I'm hearing is that, Wendy, if whether you're a high-powered lawyer that Wendy represents or you're whatever level you are at, you really have to start thinking clearly, where do I want to live? Where do I want to work? And, and navigate this because it's going to make a big difference in your take-home pay and your quality of life. Absolutely. And, and, and everything. And this goes for the companies too. They have to really think. Do we have, are we going to open up another office in New York or are we better off opening it in Miami or Palm Springs or you, you, you know, somewhere else? Because this way we don't have to pay as many taxes. We don't have as maybe the, the politicians a little bit more business friendly. So that, that helps out. And yeah. it expands, it expands the uh, business development of the firm because now they have another market into which they can reach. I mean, if you pay attention, just go back and read the lateral uh, movement of partners for the last three months. And you'll see even today, um, I'm trying to think what firm it was that just brought on an Oric, uh, uh, a corporate Oric partner Mm -hmm but the partner is located in the Chicago office and the practice and, and she moved from the New York office to Chicago. Why? Because her practice is national. 
She has clients on the West Coast. She has clients on the East Coast. So she moved to the Chicago office. Yeah, okay? that's interesting. And she has people who are working on her team who are in New York, who are in Chicago, and who are in San Francisco. Do you think these things will last even after, let's say, the vaccines are out and God willing, we get out of this whole pandemic? Do you think yeah. a lot of it will keep going? Oh, that absolutely. We just absolutely. But if you go and look, so-and-so uh, added to their uh, private equity team by bringing on a two-partner team in the San Francisco office. Mm -hmm. When I got out of business school, in, in, I had to move to New York. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because banking was done out of New York and New York yeah. only. There was no investment banking anywhere else. You wanted to be an investment banker, you moved to New York, period, period. Now you want to be uh, an M&A partner and a major law firm, you can be in any city in the world. You can be out of Hong Kong. You can be out of Singapore. You can be out of Australia. It doesn't matter because deals are being done out of all of those offices. I mean, that's kind of an exciting future if you think about it in those terms. Yeah. Well, you don't have to feel like you're locked in to any of these yep. places yep. and you have that flexibility. Um, yep. I guess it's tough for the landlords, let's say, in let's places like San Fran and New York that if people aren't going to renew leases, they're not going to take new leases. Uh, people can't pay the, you know, what they owe, but uh, I guess that's their, I guess that's their problem. They yeah. got to worry about it. They had a good run. They had a good run for a very long time. So yeah. no one's going to yeah. cry for them. I don't think. Yeah. Do you, do you find out technology has an impact in the legal space or is it kind of somewhat immune to it? As I said, technology has allowed people to be physically located anywhere. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't okay. mean that part, but like the actual practice of it, you know? Is there any difference or, or, or that kind of profession? You mean the technology industry? Uh, whether it could be artificial intelligence, um, any software, um, you know? Yeah, you have legal Zoom for, I guess, your opening up a barbershop and you'll just do it yourself. But are there other things that impact or? or well, there's all really sorts impacted? of technology that's being yeah. used by law, by law firms to, to streamline, to make life easier, to do all sorts of stuff. Um, stuff that the normal person doesn't know about, but that clients are aware of and that law firms are aware of and lawyers are aware of because they make their life eminently more comfortable and easier and save time, save money, all those kinds of things. Um, will technology ever replace the lawyer? Uh, no, because there's a certain creativity that a lawyer brings to the table. But there's so many pieces of what a lawyer does that can be automated. And they're trying their damnedest to do just that. The things that can be automated are being automated, but the things that can't, that are touchy-feely, can't. Yeah. And that's what makes a lawyer a lawyer. So if we could take a, a little bit of a, a sideways step, 
as a recruiter, mm-hmm. and I, I can tell from firsthand experience myself as well, is that there's so many things that we go through that could help out job seekers in terms of navigating their own careers. Are, are there some advice that you would give people being a recruiter you know, for 25 years, seeing it all, what would you suggest to people who are either in between jobs right now and people who have been out of work for a long time and others who are working, but every, you know, a lot of people are always worried. You don't know what's gonna happen. You, know? you, you see layoffs all the time, anything so that if they feel, all right, I'm kind of happy where I am, but I'm scared, what should I do? So any, any, any thoughts of like how Regardless to help Regardless of folks? whether you're scared mm-hmm. or not, okay. one should always be prepared because you never know when that call is gonna come from a recruiter who has the absolutely drop dead, unbelievably perfect job for you. Even if you weren't looking, even if you had no intention to be looking, you just never know when that call is gonna come. And I guarantee you that call comes when you are, have been up five days in a row on (laughs) a deal or you've been up five days in a row because you're preparing for a trial. Uh The last thing you want to do is try and recreate your resume or or work on a deal sheet. So this is what I did even even before there were computers and even before I was a recruiter and before I was a lawyer. You almost, you absolutely positively have to have a relatively updated resume and a Mm -hmm. relatively updated and full LinkedIn profile, robust LinkedIn profile going for you. All right. The way you say that, I'm presuming you're not a big fan of people who do it halfway in terms of their LinkedIn profile. That's that's a source. If you have a naked LinkedIn profile yeah. or you have played with your uh, in, in-mail thing so that it can't, mm-hmm. you're not accepting messages, yeah. why do you bother having a profile up right. at all? You're wasting space. So here's the thing. I don't care whether you have done it yourself whether you have hired a coach, which I firmly suggest that you do, uh, or what, but you absolutely positively need to have a fabulous resume and a fabulous LinkedIn profile up to date, ready. Then you need to calendar in your calendar every three months, every three months for the rest of your career that you, when it bings you, you pull out your resume, look up your LinkedIn profile, see what needs to be fiddled with to make sure that it's really up to date. Do you need to add something, take something off, whatever, put it back and then go about yourself. Because that way your paper is never more than three months old. Three months, it's okay. You can be that old but it's never more than three months old so that you're always ready. And the other thing, there is a a switch that you can toggle on your LinkedIn profile that says open to opportunities. Not the new way, but the old way. And you can toggle it and you can go into it and you can say, I wanna hear about 
Not that I'm actively looking, but if you come on my profile, I would be hearing about uh, a partner opportunity, uh, in-house, uh, blah, blah, blah. These are the things I would want to hear about, and these are the geographies. The only people who can see that are recruiters who have recruiter. Nobody else. And don't, please don't, please don't, don't toggle the new thing that puts a green ribbon around your profile picture. Okay. It, like the kiss of death. Why, why don't you like that? Really? You want the world to know that you're open to opportunities? The beauty of the, the, the little toggle there is yeah. because it's only, the only people who can see it are recruiters. If you put the green ribbon around your, your face, you're saying to everybody, clients, your employer, your friends, hi, <laughs> come yeah. talk to me. Yeah. No. The old open to opportunities is just the flick of the switch and you can go into it and tell recruiters, if you, if you happen to come onto my profile, these are the only things that you should bother me for. Don't put that green thing. Don't ever put that green thing on you. And don't ever put into your headline O-N-O, -O, which is, you know, not working, uh, tell me about anything. Open to new opportunities, right? Yeah. That's the other way of saying to the world, put me I'm out of work. <laughs> because anybody who comes up like that in a uh, recruiter search is getting thrown to the garbage. All right. So I'm try I'm I'm thinking you're not a fan of it. That's that's my takeaway. <laughs> you think? Yeah, don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Now, so what that's about, what you okay. should do. But what about, what about if you have, what about if you have it, but you do explain what's going on? So like, I'm open to work, but you have a great background and here's how, uh, you know, you could help me because I'm a, I'm a tax accountant and whatever happened, but I'm looking to this, this, that, where they kind of flesh it out. So it's not, it's not coming across as needy. It's coming across as like, okay, hey, yeah. Would you, would you be open to that or that's even but that? just understand, there are two different reasons. There's multiple different reasons why you would have a fleshed out LinkedIn profile. Not the only, LinkedIn is not only for job search. It's not. People use it for business development. People use it to try and attract um, speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. There's so many, you know, networking. Any number of five oh, billion different yeah. reasons, not only for job searching. So you can absolutely have, a, your boss says, how come you have a robust uh, LinkedIn profile? And you can say, because I'm trying to get involved in this charitable organization, or I'm trying to get involved mm -hmm. in this um, business networking organization and I'm trying to get onto their speakers list. There are any right. numbers of reasons why you can tell your boss that you have a, and none of them have to do with job search. Speaking of that, Wendy, in terms of what I've come across is there are a lot of people who are in between roles or who really want to find a new job, but they don't market themselves at all. Or if they do, it's just very lackluster. You know, it would, it would be maybe putting up a little motivational quote or a little picture. And 
I look at it, I'm like, I don't understand how that is going to attract somebody to say, hey, Wendy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look at you as a candidate for a job I have. Why do you think that is? What, do you have any suggestions okay. for these people to just yes. get out there and market yes. themselves? Um, there's two areas that are useful, important to marketing. Mm -hmm. The first is under your name where you currently have your LinkedIn provided title. That's the first area where you can, it, your, it's called your headline. Mm -hmm. And that's the first area where you can market yourself. Um, if you look up on LinkedIn for advice on headline, you'll see a whole bunch of great articles by a whole bunch of great coaches on how to write a fabulous headline that will help market you to potential employers or potential uh, clients or the like. And they'll tell you, because you've got like 220 characters where you can market yourself. Um, hell, you look at mine, it says, you know, uh, that I'm a legal recruiter, that I've got a JD from a top 25 school and an MBA from a top three school, that I've got uh, a clerkship and I worked on Wall Street. I've got you know, all those kinds of things, all included in there. Some people put a, uh, a, a cute saying. Uh, some, one of the people I know wrote, I blow things up. You know, something that resonates your attention. with people. Yeah. yeah, some uh, people who it, it resonates with the people who are going to be looking at it that they rec that it, it speaks to them about you. But the most important area is your about section. When I'm looking at resumes and flipping through, you know, 800 resumes looking for the 60 or so that I'm going to try and uh, interact with, that's what I look at. That's what most people who are potential employers or recruiters look at. That's the section where in a very succinct method, you tell people what you have to offer, what it is that makes you different and stand out and the accomplishments that you've, you've done. I mean, if you have uh, a Harvard MBA and a Yale Law School, that goes into the about section. If you... Um, saved your company $100 million in each of the last three years, that goes into the about section. But it's, it's things that you have accomplished that makes you stand out, that someone looking at it goes, oh, that's important for my job, my, my company's job that I am looking for. That's how you market yourself. Now, so that's, it makes people... When they come upon your LinkedIn, find it attractive. They're going to know it. It's going to be interesting. What about once they're on it? Would you suggest doing the filling out application center resumes, or are you the school to say, "Hey, try to find the companies you want to work for, find insiders there, and okay. then try to get on their on their radar screen." Okay. So there's two different kinds of of candidates. There's the candidates who are passively looking and waiting for some, you know, happy where they are. And if somebody calls, comes upon them, that's great. Then the people who are the active job search, job seekers. If you are an active job seeker, you have to be proactive. You have to 
target companies that you're interested in. And once you have targeted companies that you're interested in, then what you need to do is on LinkedIn, look them up. See who at the company you may know. See who at the company may have the job that you want. See who at the company is making hiring decisions. Figure out who at the company you can reach out to and network with, and then network your way into connecting with the people who are making the hiring decisions. Why? Statistics show that companies hire people they know first. So before they ever put an ad up, they're going to turn to their own people and say, I'm looking to hire X. Does anybody know of any good X? And if their company knows of people who are X, those people are going to get an extra oomph when, there's a, when they're being evaluated. If the hiring manager happens to know an oomph, that's even better. So the theory being that uh, if you have connected with the hiring manager, the theory being the next time that they're looking for a you, they're going to reach out to you as part of the reaching out to people that they know first before they post the job. That's how, how yeah. you try and do that. That's really great advice. How would you suggest to somebody? And let's say you're, you know, I don't know if you were this before being a recruiter, but sometimes when you recruit for a long time, you have you have to have that confidence and ability to reach out to strangers and talk to strangers and do that. But oftentimes many corporate types aren't. So if you're kind of a little introverted or shy or just, you don't feel comfortable, how do you do that to reach out? Just send a LinkedIn message, make a phone call, well, you know, That's ask why a friend. You start, you start, you don't have to start with the prize. You start with someone that you may know or someone knows somebody and you get introduced way down the line and you slowly work your way in. You're not gonna, you, you, if you're down here, you're not gonna make your first inquiry all the way up here. You may just work your way up and slowly work your way up until you're introduced to that person by somebody that you know. Mm -hmm. So you're not reaching out blind. That's a, that's a good point. So, so you're a little more comfortable doing that, right? So you don't feel like, oh my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a hold of this managing director at this big Wall Street investment right. bank, which right. could be daunting. But if you figure, hey, if I get somebody who's a little down the totem pole, that's a little bit more approachable, maybe we went to the same school or we live in the same area or what have you, right. you, you know, you can start there and reach right. out. Or if you have other a friend way, or someone right. to try to maybe put in the good word for you too. The other way of doing it is... Mm -hmm. uh, you reach out to the person, again, you have to be confident in this. Uh, you reach out to the person who currently has the job you want. Or, or, hold on a second. You reach out to 
um, someone at a different company who has the job you want because you may have a better connection to them. And you say to them, uh, you're doing X. That's the job I want, but I want it at XYZ company. Do you know Bill at XYZ company? Oh, you do? Can you introduce me to Bill? See, and that's nice. See, if you could, because then if you get a referral, and, and sometimes it's great if you get two of them or three of them, because then you send, you know, you hear, let's say you're the hiring manager, Wendy, and two people inside your company say, hey, you got to speak to this guy, Jack Kelly. He's really good. You're going to start thinking like, all right, what's up with this guy, Jack Kelly? I've heard it now from two people. Let me, let me, all of a sudden, instead of looking at this pile of resumes, well, you wouldn't have a pile. You'd be on your computer, but you're looking at all these resumes you're like, hey, I don't know who, who the heck they are. Let me go and just speak to Jack because he's recommended and I'll kind of go check him out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, can I tell you, can I tell you a quick story to your point? Sure. Uh-huh. So my daughter's in college and uh-huh. she's she's in film, but she wants to do something educational. So she was thinking of education, film, combining two. Right. So her goal, she would love to work on Sesame Street and do something. Cool. So she cold emailed people at Sesame Street to really? have conversations. And just yesterday, so she's she's uh she's in Philadelphia in Drexel, and she she hits, you know, she calls me and says, Dad, so I got I got these two calls i need some help here because i sent a message and you know what do i say how do i do it and then she spoke to the first one i didn't hear feedback about the second one but it you know seemed to go well and she's a young lady i guess in a way maybe she had advantage (coughs) because you know seeing her you know psycho dad just being you know this hardcore you know yeah and let's be honest Recruiters are very salesish oriented, so it's very pushy, you know, so kind right. of absorb that stuff. But yeah, so even if this is come out wrong, so if you have a young, you know, 19 year old who is able to say, you know what, I'm going to do it, we all can, right? right. I mean, we exactly. all can. You know, if you have a young person who's who doesn't have any corporate experience at all to say, hey, I'm just going to get hold of this stranger. And, and if, you could tell in her voice, she was excited, but nervous, but did it. And see, I think that's the key too. You got to be, you can be a little nervous, a little uncomfortable. You just push through it. And then after it's done, like you could hear in her voice, like, oh, you know, I did it. And then feeling proud that you did it, which gives you the courage to do it again. You know? So I think you're, you're so right about it. That's, that's so, I think that's, I would say in this market, I'm curious what you think. I would say in this market, because it's so tough and so challenging, not for everybody, because some areas, as you said, are, are doing really well, but a lot aren't. I think you just have to be aggressive. You have to be, have a thick skin. You don't have, you can't be afraid of rejection. You have to do it because no one's going to do it for you. Right. And just, and if you just sit there waiting and, and, you, and like you said, maybe you just put on open to work and that's it. It's just not going to happen. You got to right. really get out there right. and find it. Right? right. I think that's kind of the key. You know, I, uh, I've never been shy. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> um, I've never been shy. Uh, it, 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 you know, I was lucky. I grew up um, next door to 
some, you know, on my one side, I had the managing partner of one of the biggest law firms in New Jersey. And on the other side, I had the CEO of a publicly listed corporation. And so, you know, the reality is they put their pants on one leg at a time. So, you know, I always kept that theory and that thought in my head whenever I had to uh, reach out to somebody. So that's so interesting. So like you're, you're, you're looking and say, hey, knowing them as human beings, it takes away the mystique. You know, this person is not a CEO of a huge firm or, you know, a head of, you know, running a hedge fund. It's just, you know, it's, it's Joe, it's Bob, it's Jane, it's Susan. Exactly. You know? exactly. And that then moving forward, you have that in mind and you're like, okay, that's a good way of exactly. looking at it for people to not to look at their title. Just look at their, you know, that's the person down person. the street. No, they're a person. They're somebody's next door neighbor. They're somebody's yeah. father. They're somebody's uh, basketball coach. They're, yeah. you know, the reality is they're, you know, uh, God, I remember one time I called this uh, associate and uh, uh, I introduced myself and he said, Wendy Schoen. I said, yeah. He said, is your brother Scott Schoen? I said, yeah. He went, you're kidding, right? He went, no. He went, he was absolutely incapable of talking with me from that moment on. Well, I guess your brother's a big shot then, huh? Well, he was in Boston. My brother is a very big shot in Boston. Yeah. He was he was a second year associate and he was absolutely incapable yeah. of talking to me after that. And I was like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Right. You can talk to me. I could he was in absolutely yeah. incapable. Of talking to me, he—that's he, so interesting. And, and it was like it, it was—it was so sad. He yeah. could not talk to me, and I was—it's I, I, I was like it's my brother, not me. Yeah. Right, it's right, my right. Brother, not me. And you're like saying, "Hey, I know my brother when he was a little kid, and he's not right. all that, you know. Don't really. worry, he's a normal person." Really. We took baths together. It's okay. You know? <laughs> All right. Two other brothers. We yeah. played snowball fights. Because really, really believe it or not, a, an hour just flew by. But I just have one more question I wanted to ask you sure. before we go. So, given that the way the person, is there anything else that you've noticed? Because you deal with very successful people, very high level people, very accomplished people, going to the best schools, working at the best law firms, and what have you. What are some of the things you, you've seen that they do wrong that? we could share that to advise people what not to do. You know what I mean? It's often we tell people what to do, but then I think it's also important, like from what you, like that example is a perfect thing. Like what not to do is just get starstruck to the, to, to the extent that you, you just are tongue tied and you just blow an opportunity. Are there um, other things, these really accomplished people just, just fall apart and that we should be careful and they shouldn't do, do that? Um. Are they arrogant? Are they obnoxious at times? Oh, these big people? Yeah, when, when they interview, you know, no. and that 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 goes against no. them. Is that a thing? No, no they're not. No. Um, normally, when they are looking to hire somebody, yeah, they're looking to hire somebody for a reason. Yeah. Um, truth be told, <coughs> um.
even if they're obnoxious to work for, they're not usually obnoxious to interview with. <laughs> right. But I'm talking about the job seekers, not necessarily the hiring managers, but the people who are looking for the job. You know? I know, people who yeah. are looking for a job. It's really important that you research the people with whom you're going to be working, good, interviewing. Good point, yeah. Really important. Yeah. Because if you haven't done the research necessary to go on an interview, then you're wasting everybody's time. That's a great point. Because I can't tell you how many times I would see job seekers uh, I'll get feedback. They really didn't understand the company. They didn't know really what the company did. They met someone and they didn't do any homework. So they had no clue where they fit in the whole hierarchy. And it's just, it's just, it's bad form. So yeah, I agree. You have to do your homework. And what I would, I would even add to that, Wendy, I noticed when you do more homework, you feel more confident too. So it helps yep. you up because then you, you know what? Because then you found out, oh, I know Wendy, because I, you know, let's say before the call, I knew when you talked about where you went to college and all that, you know, I'd love to have a better understanding. So when you look into it, it actually is so interesting because your brother showed up, you know how it shows people also looked at. I saw Scott, so when you mentioned him, I'm like, oh, all right, that's your brother. So when you do your homework, you feel much more comfortable talking to the other person because you feel, oh, okay, I get a sense of who it is. Now you could be wrong, you know, because you don't want to just presume someone's a certain way, but you have right. that. So it's at least it's a working model yep. to know a little bit about the person. So you're right. I think that's a key. That's so, and I think that's in any kind of interpersonal relationships, if you have a good feel about the person going in, you can feel comfortable. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is um, it's wonderful to read all these people's um, articles about here are the answers to the most often question. Yeah. Really? If you <laughs> if you walk into an interview and you spew out these answers, yeah. people are gonna look at you and go, really? Wait a minute, you're no. just ragging out all my Forbes articles about this. Darn it. <laughs> How to answer Here's this question. Thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. My suggestion is before you go into an interview, the reality is the best way you can go when you're in an interview, the best way that you can give the information that you want to is by telling stories, okay? If they ask you, you know, uh, tell me about yourself. They don't want to know that you grew up in a log cabin, <laughs> okay? They want to know how you got yeah. to this point yeah. today. So you want to be able to tell them a, a brief story about your life that, you know, that, that how you got into the field, how you got to the work that you were doing and what's brought you here. So work out in your mind some sort of a nice story that goes from A to B to C, okay? That's not going to be the same for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you need to, all right. And then think of the, thing, the, the three to five things about yourself that you want to make sure that this interviewer knows about you when you've left the room. There's a couple of different ways that that information can get across to them. They ask you a question, and as part of answering that question, you bring up one of the points. Think about the way I, I mean, I, I usually tell people what, what 
it's easy when they're a lawyer because I say to them, think about you getting up there and you're making a presentation. And the person that you're making the presentation to asks you a question in the middle mm-hmm. that sort of shunts you off. And you have to answer the question and then get back onto your argument. So that's what you do with the question that they ask you. You sort of work the point in to answering the question. That's one way. A second way is you get to ask questions. So you ask one of your questions that sort of segues into one of the things that they want to talk about. And the third way is at the end of the interview, when they say, do you have any other questions for me? Don't, don't ask the ridiculous questions of how did you get started here? Really? No, you ask one of your points that starts a conversation that, or you can just ask a question that starts a conversation that lets you bring up your question. Let's say you were able to um, <clears throat> oversee a team of 12 people and they hadn't discussed whether there was any um, managerial aspects to this job. You could say, uh, you know, one thing we didn't talk about, so I did want to ask is, um, is there any, is any part of this job involve overseeing other people or is this pretty much of a, a solo job? Because, uh, you know, in my last job, I was responsible for a team of 12. So now you've asked a question before you've left so that you're showing that you're thinking about what's involved in this new job. But at the same time, you brought up one more point. Right, right. Well, that's great advice. So, Wendy, Wendy Schoen, this is awesome. So, we've, my pleasure. In, in, in a small amount of time, we talked about how to navigate your career in terms of where you're going to reside and, and you have to factor in tax issues and what's, is there, you know, are you better off in other locations to how to market yourself, what to do on LinkedIn, what not to do. So, we covered a lot of ground, which is really cool. And I'm so glad you're able to do this because what I find exciting about these conversations, you know, although you focus on these high-powered senior level, executive level attorneys, it, it crosses over. You know what I mean? It crosses over yeah. to all walks of life, all different kinds of people. You know, just like you pointed out when that person had a problem about like talking to you because your brother is such a, you know, a, a, a big shot. He's a big machadere so up in Boston. So like, you know, but you can't, you just, they're human beings. You know, if they want to hire, they need to hire, as you pointed out. And, and just treat them as other people. So you gave a lot of valuable advice and you've, you've been doing it a long time, so, which is great. And you lived it. So not only were you, you know, your recruiter, but you went to you know, have an MBA, you practice as an attorney. So you have real life experience too, which I think is very, very important when you know, you're a recruiter because you know the real world. You're not just kind of <clears> giving <throat> theory. So, so I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing it. And I really think you gave some awesome advice, some really great stuff for people to do. And what we'll do is I'll let you know once, you know, we'll, we'll edit it on Friday and clean it up and, and then we'll share it on, on social media. And I think a lot of people are going to get value from it. So thank you so much, Wendy. That was my pleasure. I so much enjoyed talking with oh, you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Wendy. Have a good Take rest care. of the day. Take care. Be well. Bye. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C. R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. 
We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.